Good evening, everybody. We're going to continue the series of classes on Ein Yaakov, the moral ethical teaching of the Talmud, where we left off last week, talking about how to respond to heretics. Now, you remember, at the end of the last lesson, we quoted a teaching from Rabbi Yochanan, who said that anywhere heretics have quoted a verse from the Torah to support their heretical philosophy, the rebuttal to their citation of a biblical verse can be found in the next verse. In other words, keep reading, and you'll see that they're, they're quoting verses out of context. They're, they're you know, splicing and editing verses of the Torah to support their points and make it sound as if this is supported by the Torah, when it's not. And anyone who knows a little bit more about that one particular verse, you just keep reading, you'll see that one after another, they're just, they're just disproven by the context, by the continuity of the verses. So we gave one example last time, and we're going to continue with a few of those examples here. So the Torah says, In the context of the story of the Tower of Babel, where the people at the time wanted to build a tower to symbolize their uh, ascent to the heavens and their challenge to God. So the Torah there says, let us, in the plural, descend and confuse their speech. So it seems to indicate, ah, God is saying, let us descend. So there's a, plural, there's a plurality to God, it's not just one God. But if you look two verses earlier, it says, Hashem descended, written in the singular, to see what was going on. So you see already there that it's only one Hashem addressing the, uh, the situation in Babel. We're going to bring up later, just as a heads up, later the Gemara is going to ask the question, why even go there? Why even start to give credence or, or give possibility for someone to take this verse out of context? Why would the Torah write something in the plural in the first place if it only means God himself in the singular? That question's coming. So let's just first go, th- go through all these examples to show how any heretic who's trying to quote a verse out of context will be able, we can, you can disprove that by another verse in the same story. And then we'll get to that question. Another example of this principle, Kisham Niglu Elav Halakim, that Yaakov built a, a Mizbech, built an altar, because Hashem had appeared, it's written in the plural, Niglu, plural, appeared to him. So gods appeared to him, it sounds like. But, Four verses earlier, it, it says that Yaakov went to Bethel, um, that, that he wanted to build something, build an altar to God who answers, in the singular, not who answer in the plural, uh, me in the day of my distress. So again, you see that the same context refers to God in the singular and um, shakes up the so called proof that there is a plurality to God. Another example, when Moshe is addressing the Jewish people in the book of Devarim, <coughs> he says, who is a nation so great that Elohim are close, plural, Kerovim. Elohim means God. Kerovim are, are close, not is close to you or to it, to that nation. But the same verse continues to which nation has such a close relationship to God 
like our God in the singular when we call Him in the singular. Again, there is, an, there is, a, there is a plural term used, but right away in the next verse or the verse before, or the same verse, um, the Torah also reverts to the singular and that, that basically eliminates the argument that you could clearly make a point that the Torah is talking about the plural, plurality of gods. Another example, Who is like your nation, like Israel, one nation in the land, that God went in the plural. Um, this is from the book of Shmuel. But the same verse continues, To redeem for himself, in the singular, not for themselves, a people. Again and again and again, you see the same thing happen. So the Gemara jumps to ask the question, Why do I need to use these terms why do we need to even get into the possibility of people misunderstanding that there's a plurality of gods? Why would the Torah even um, entertain and allow for that notion to be entertained? I mean, as many times as you'll prove to me that there is a singularity and, and, and you know, the single tense is used, um, why, why even go there? Why even start to use um, plural terms? So the answer is, Rabbi Yochanan, like Rabbi Yochanan taught, Rabbi Yochanan, he taught, Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Eise Dabar, Hashem does not do anything, Elim Kein Nimlach Bepamal Yashal Maila, unless he first consults the heavenly court. And the purpose of doing so, an heavenly court is obviously angels, other heavenly beings, but the idea is, Hashem is demonstrating humility and leadership, that this is the way you should ask, not that Hashem needs to have the permission of the heavenly court, but we are told that we're meant to walk in Hashem's ways. We have to emulate Hashem. So Hashem sets a role model of how the, the chief of any enterprise, the head of any enterprise, should operate. You should consult with your subordinates. Let them have their say. You know, you, you're, you're the CEO, but don't just lord over everybody and bulldoze your way through things. Build consensus, ask people for their input, and so on. Hashem is showing you a humble way of, of leadership. Um... And uh, to, 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 to support that, we have the verse from Daniel, Shenemar, Bigzeras, Irin, Pizgama, Bemamer, Kadish, and Sheelta. The book of Daniel is, is the one book in Tanakh that has many, many verses, uh, a good chunk of it written in Aramaic. And this verse in Aramaic says that by decree of the wakeful ones is the matter, by word of the holy ones is the sentence. In other words, that whenever sentence or decree um, Hashem issues, comes along with the sort of the stamp of approval of the holy ones, of the wakeful ones, those being the heavenly court, the angels. Um, <clears throat> and now the Gemara goes back to um, a discussion of how to properly respond to heretics. We're going to have, this is going to continue for, for a little bit. We're not going to finish it all today. Someone who knows how to respond to heretics in the manner their Rav Idis, one of the rabbis did, that person should respond. But if you don't know how to respond in the way that Rav Idis did, which apparently, as we'll soon see, was a very effective, thorough, conclusive rebuttal, if you can't do it that way, best not respond at all. In other words, your choices when you're confronting a heretic are either demolish the argument, win, win a resounding victory. If you can't do that, don't even start. 
What was the story? Amar Avuminon Rav Idis, a certain heretic said to Rav Idis, Ksiv ve'el Moshe Amar Ali al Hashem. We just had this then in, in the parsha that um, to Moses Hashem said, ascend to Hashem. Now that should have said, if Hashem is speaking to Moshe, right, second person, what do you say? Go up to God? Go up to me. Come up to me. What is this that Hashem is saying to Moshe? Go up to Hashem. And so that would be sort of um, indication that there's two gods. There's one God commanding Moses. And then the second God, who this first God is telling Moses, go to God, the other one. Right? That's what you could argue from the simple reading of that verse. So Ravid said, no, you're mistaken. The person, the one, the voice that was speaking is the voice of the angel, Omar Zehu Matatrin. This is the angel Matatrin. Shashmoi Kishem Rabbi, his name is the same as his master. In other words, an angel being so transparent and, and selfless and not having any independent identity, speaks in the name of God. To, to use a, a shabby analogy, you know, in the olden days when, a, when a, a, a clarion or a herald would come from the palace and hear ye, hear ye, in the name of the king. Right? Who said the announcement? That dude over there. But what was he saying? He was announcing something from the king. And so... The angel Matatrin, his name is the name of his master, so the Torah records it as if it was God saying, but in reality it was an angel speaking in the name of God. And, and it's, it's, it's a symptom of the close, intimate relationship that an angel has with God, at least this kind of angel, that there's no daylight between him and God, that is to say he speaks in the name of God. Dichsiv kishmi kishmi bekirboi. As it says, when Hashem told Moshe that uh, in his original plan, he would not lead the Jewish people through the desert. He would send an angel. Right? So Hashem told Moshe that, Shmi um, Bekirbe, my name is within him. This is the kind of angel I'm sending to you, that he carries my name in him. So he's not as if it's a, you know, in other words, don't feel so uh, demoted or disrespected that I'm only sending an angel to lead you through the desert. It's the kind of angel, Kishmi Bekirbe, my name is within him. So along those lines, here also, Hashem's name is within the angel that speaks in the name of Hashem to tell Moshe to go up to Hashem. So, hearing this, the heretic said, Oh, really? That's your argument? If that's the case, then we should worship the angel. If you want to say that the angel is so synonymous with God, then it only makes sense. We should pray to the angel too. After all, he's synonymous with God. Right? Are you okay with that? And that's basically catch twenty-two. Right? That's a good. That's almost a checkmate. If you're if you're not ready to have us pray to the angel, that means you're saying he is someone separate. So then your answer falls apart. And if you say that we should pray to the angel, well then you're saying we should pray to some other being outside of God. So what are you going to say, Rav Idis? A very clever heretic. Must say. Right? So, Ravidi said, We cannot worship him. Ksiv al Do not exchange for him. Do not exchange um, God for anyone else. Al which means, Don't exchange me. Hashem says, Don't exchange me for him. Um, this is back from that original verse when Hashem was telling Moshe about the angel who was planned to lead the Jews through the desert. 
um, listen to his voice. I'm trying to remember the whole verse at hand, uh, uh, offhand. Um, yeah. Hishamar Mipanov, you know, guard yourself from him, listen to his voice, and do not exchange. Technically, it could also be translated as Al Tamer boy, don't um, disobey him. But it also means don't exchange me for him, the same root word. So Ravidis is interpreting that verse as don't exchange me for him. Hashem warns you that as, as synonymous as that angel might be with me, you're still not to, you are not to exchange me for him. Don't make that mistake of crossing, blurring those lines. Um, so the heretic asks again, Im Kain, lo yisa lefishachim, lo yisa So the, the, uh, the verse continues to say that the original verse when Hashem was describing this angel to the Jewish people, that why should you not disobey this angel? Because he will not forgive your sins. He cannot forgive your sins. He will not forgive your sins. He's not... So you have to be very careful. You're not talking about God who is capable of forgiveness. You're talking about this angel who is not capable of forgiveness. If you disobey him, he's not going to be kind to you. So, <clears throat> basically his argument is, um, what benefit, what purpose does such an angel have if he can't forgive sins? Why would, why would we want the Jews to be led by an angel? So he said to the heretic, that is indeed our belief that the angel Mitatrin has no power to forgive. We, therefore, the Jewish people actually refused to accept him even as God's messenger to lead the Jewish people. That's exactly it. Because he's not God. We only want to be led by God. We do draw a line. We draw a very clear line. And that's exactly and that's what happened. Right? Hashem wanted that, that the angel should lead the Jewish people, and the Jewish people said no. And Moshe relayed that message. Moshe said to Hashem, if your, <coughs> if your presence um, does not lead us, then don't bring us up from here. Don't bother getting started. In other words, so you see from the story, Rav Eli was able to negotiate and, and debate point and counterpoint with a very knowledgeable, clever heretic, which, like I said last class, to be a heretic, you have to know an awful lot. Otherwise, you're just ignorant. To deny God, to deny Torah, you have to be a real scholar. Just to say, I don't believe in God because you don't know what God is or what the Torah is. You're not a heretic. You're not an atheist. You're just ignorant. But here, the caution is that if you're able to respond and you're knowledgeable enough to respond in such a thorough way and pick apart the argument, you know, step by step, then go ahead. But if you're not at that level of being able to respond so thoroughly, and best not to engage with a heretic in the first place. And, and that's why generally, traditionally, Jews, by and large, have been reluctant to get into these kind of debates. Um, in the best of scenarios, um, the other side doesn't even concede. In the worst of scenarios, you make a mess of things because you're not exactly trained or skilled or knowledgeable enough to really refute thoroughly and conclusively the heretic that you're dealing with. So, best thing is to ignore you know, if you are personally challenged by, by a heretic, to, to simply ignore and don't let it distract you from your, from your determination as a Jew, from your commitment as a Jew. And if you're assaulted by an internal heretic, 
which sometimes can come, the Yitzhahara internally can come and drive a person crazy with all kinds of heretical thoughts. So again, the same rule seemingly would apply. Either, if you know how to respond effectively, go for it. Otherwise, you can, you can take, the, take the high road and rise above it. And if it's still bothering you, then I guess the, the solution would be to find somebody like Ravidis, someone who's proficient and knowledgeable enough that can help you actually resolve the issue and put it to bed once and for all. Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you again tomorrow.